Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me Suffolk Property Inspector, John Hurst. Hi, John. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty good. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great today. Um, now, you started Suffolk uh, Property Inspectors. When did you start that? Oh, Scott, I believe it was uh, 2011 by the time I got my license and everything certified and all the classes completed. Now you say you had to get uh, you you got your license. So what's what's entailed in in getting a license? Well, for New York State, it's a hundred hours of in class learning. Uh, basically, they teach you many different um, avenues of construction, what to look for, what not to look for, and then there's forty hours of what they consider on the job training, where you go out with different inspectors for forty hours, observe how they look, and it's like a question and answer period to anything that you're not sure of. You ask them, and they uh, reconfirm everything for you. So does that mean you go to somebody um, that's another inspector or do they offer that at the, wherever you it go was to the school that I took the classes with on it? Um, some of the schools um, offer the uh, 40 hours with their training on it, which is good. I think it's the additional fee for that, which um, it, it's not a bad thing when you realize that you're out there with the class members that you were learning with and everything. So everybody's kind of friendly. Nobody's really afraid of what to ask or anything. They don't worry about asking stupid questions on it. So um, some, yeah. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go yeah, ahead. No problem. Some places over there, they actually want you to go follow an inspector around for 40 hours. And some of the inspectors to follow around for 40 hours, it's a little on the difficult side. Some just don't like people watching over them while they work. So, Understood. Wow. Interesting. Um, what was I going to say? Is that uh, what were you doing before you, you and what, you know, what were you doing before uh, being a, a home inspector Ooh. and what prompted you to want to become one? Ancient history with that. I worked in the automotive field for many, many years. I installed car stereos, alarm systems, DVD players. Um, wound up working at one of my accounts and got injured. And it was at a point where I was um, too old to get back into what I was doing and too young to retire out. Uh, seeing as I had a background in construction, uh, everybody was like, you know, you should really be a home inspector. And these were the same people that insisted that I get into it about 10 years prior to that. Didn't want to spend the money for the classes and didn't have the time to spend in the classes themselves on it. And as seeing as I was, you know, still young, it was like, all right, what am I going to do for my retirement years on it? So that's when we took the classes and started to do, you know, get involved with the home inspections on it. And honestly, I wish I'd gotten into it a lot of years sooner. Why? Um, it's just fun. I work with a lot of first-time buyers and first-time buyers, they're nervous. Oh my God, how are we going to spend this money? How are we going to survive? How are we going to put food on the table? And you basically, you're there to kind of talk them off the ledge on and and explain that this is a house. It's like a gardener. It's like a young child. You've got to keep putting effort into it to maintain it, keep it good on it. Uh, And you also, I feel like I'm looking out for them like they're my own kids. Hmm. And when you get the older people that have, they're on their second house over there, they've already been part of, oh, well, we've got to maintain it, keep an eye on everything. I'm just there to, basically let them know some of the features of the house, some of the issues that are going to require maintenance, uh, some of the areas that have to get addressed and taken care of on it. Interesting. Now, do you recommend a buyer uh, accompany you on the inspection? Oh, of course. 
Uh, reason being is my reports are pretty um, extensive. I'll write a report anywhere from 60 to 120, 130 pages long on it. If 130 there, pages? Yeah, I take a lot of pictures with it, a lot of arrows, a lot of circles on it. Again, my, my job is to tell them about the house. So whatever I can do to tell them about the house on it, be it where here's where the hose bibs are, here's what you have to do with the oil system on it. It's like I said, it's it's information as well as looking for safety and structural issues on it. So if they're there to follow me, they've already asked their questions. They don't open up their email and see a 110-page report and right away their heart is like, oh my God, what are we getting into? No, the first 20, 30 pages are the um, important features of the house that need to get addressed. And then the rest of it's just information. That is fascinating. Um, so how do you, or do you do, I'm, I'm thinking this question through, is that, um, you know, you get a 130 page report and it's talking about some of the issues that the house has. Um, does that sometimes, you know, turn people off onto buying a house or do you, because they're wa walking through with you at the time uh, and you're pointing out certain issues, do you, how do you- how do you if balance that? You if they're walking through, if they're walking through me, I'm basically telling them what the report's going to be. Here, this is something you need to worry about. This is something I've got to make mention of because I see it over there. Just because you get an extensive, lengthy report doesn't mean that the house is falling apart on it. Okay, like I said, I realize that they're going to be afraid of everything too. So again, you try and just you just point out everything with the house, and you tell them to expect a lengthy report on it. And if there's any questions, contact me. If the attorneys have any questions, contact me also. As I always say, when I usually meet them at the house, a lot of times I don't meet the people. It's a referral through an agent, a referral through a, a mortgage company. Uh, I always look at them and say, look, I'm here to scare you the first time. The attorney's going to scare you the second time. The mortgage people are going to scare you the third time. It always works out for you. Um, again, like I said, if they're there to follow me around and everything, they kind of know what to expect on it. But I always leave that little caveat where, as I review the pictures, because I'll take anywhere from 150 to 250 pictures on an inspection, it's like I take a lot of pictures so that I don't miss anything while I'm doing the inspection. So if there's a couple of issues that we didn't discuss, just be prepared for that. And hopefully they're going to be something minor that I just overlooked at the scene. Well, you know, I think a lot of times buyers uh, go in and when they're walking through with you, it's like, oh, the, the, you know, there's a drip in one of the sinks. And many times they think, well, that should be taken care of by the seller. However, I think what's lost in the translation a lot of times is that basically you're there to see that everything is structurally sound and it's safe. The, the property is safe, I, I think. I, I do that. And I also make mention if I see drip on the kitchen on, on, out of a faucet or something, because a, a small drip, as everybody knows, can lead to a larger drip on it. So again, I, I make them aware of it as much as like four or five years ago, the inspection used to be a negotiating point. Right. Uh, now, now with the way that the market is, it's basically, if you don't like it, there's four of the people that will take the house over here. So that's why I say it's information. I'll look at people and go, all right, this is an older force. You got a little drip going on here. Expect to have to, you know, change that or repair that within the next year or so on it. And that shows up in the report. The report usually makes it sound scary because it's supposed to, but the people already know that it's not that big an issue. If I know somebody that's, fairly handy. They can take care of it. If not, I have to bring a plumber in for a couple dollars on it. Right. So again, like I said, I'm, I'm there. Basically I tell them, give them as much information as I can about the house. Now, do you offer, um, uh, you know, pest inspections or, uh, you yeah, know, I, I do a termite or what they call wood destroying insect uh, inspection on it. Um, I believe that again, because I'm there to tell people about the house, 
if you're in the house for anywhere from an hour to two, two and a half hours, it's foolish not to look for any type of insect uh, activity or insect damage on it. Uh, I, I just feel that you, you're not doing your job properly if that's the issue right there. Um, the, like I said, the termite inspection is, um, to, like I said, to me, I, I, I don't feel like you're doing your job properly. And I can't understand people getting paid and they're only doing half a job on something. I'm, maybe I'm too old school for something like that. Yeah, but no, I think uh, you're just a professional. That's all. You're just doing your job, you know. Yeah. Better than most, not as good as some, but you know, it, right. it's kept me busy for the last couple of years on it, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you recommend a seller get an inspection before putting it on the market? The smarter agents are recommending that the sellers get the inspection report because uh, the home inspection is a um, it's an opinion based business. So, I mean, I can go into a house and another inspector can go into a house. We can find probably different issues on it. But at least if they do what I call pre-listing inspection on it, they have an idea of uh, are the major issues taken care of, what's going to be a potential problem, um, what am I going to hear about that I might have to repair on it. So, like I said, the smarter ones do that. The other ones, they sit down and they wait and see what happens with it and see what the inspector is going to pick up and then deal with it accordingly. Right, right. Um, can you see issues by just looking at the exterior of a house? That's why I start the inspection on the outside first. It's usually um, after doing it for several years, you, you look at the house and you know that all right, when I get inside, I've got to pay attention to that because uh, you see a tree branch hanging over a roof or you see vines dripping some or vines growing on the side of a house or you see an air conditioning discharge tube coming down right next to the foundation. At that point, when you get in there, you go into the basement, you, you pay a little bit more attention to that, especially if you see water intrusion points. It's like, what wood is rotted? What type of insect damage do I have going on over there? Uh, every now and then I have to start on the inside first, then it's kind of a little disadvantage because, again, you, you're taking away an important feature of seeing the outside and seeing how you're going to base everything. Hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, so you first you do the outside. Now, how do you go about, do you have a protocol when you do a, an inspection? Do you start from the top down or the bottom up? Usually depends on the house and the homeowners, if people are living in there. Um, now with COVID up there, some uh, people are on poor health on it. So they'll be on like another floor and I'll start there. And as I go to move, they'll relocate down to the area that I've, I've already been in and out of. Uh, generally, I like to start in the basement and work my way up to the roof or but crawl space. So you, yeah. what kind of things do you find sometimes in the basement? Oh, basement. Well, you, all the homes, you're always going to see a little bit of water staining on the um, kitchens and on the bathrooms. All right. The house is like 40, 50 years old. If you think there's never been a water leak in it, it you're mistaken with all that. Um, you, the basements, um, basements and attics tell me everything I need to know about a house. I don't normally need to go onto the main living space if I've got access to uh, both those areas on it. Uh, it's going to let me know if there's termite damage. There's going to let me know if there's rusted pipes. There's going to let me know if the heating system is intact. Uh, there's going to let me know if there's water issues with the foundation, cracks in it. Uh, different moisture things on it's going to let me know if there's mold issues in the house you know um I, one of the devices because uh, we recently did a, a inspection or you did an inspection i should say uh, somebody hired you um the, you had this humidity meter as i recall yeah. I've yeah, got an air quality I've never tester. Seen, yeah, I've never seen something like that before. No, it's honestly, it's whatever you can do to stay on top of everything. I carry the air quality tester because I work with a lot of younger people with children, um, anywhere from infants to two, three, four years old. 
they're worried if there's mold issues in the house. So this little air quality test lets me know if the air is stable, it's safe to be around. Also alerts me if there's any type of mold concerns in the house over there. And it also gives me humidity levels also. I mean, I'll, I'll put the meter on a wall to see if the wall is dry or if there's acceptable humidity or above average humidity levels in a home. Again, I try and be as thorough and it, it just give the people as much information to make their best possible decision. Now, one of the things that I found interesting about uh, you, uh, John, was that uh, you recommend uh, doing when the, the buyer is doing a walkthrough before the closing to have the inspector come again. I always, I always include that with my fee on it. Uh, for the simple fact, simply put, is um, they see the house when they put the offer in. The next time they see it is on the inspection. And that's usually anywhere from four weeks or six weeks till about two to three months before they close. There's always questions that arise. Uh, by me being in there, it just makes them feel a little bit more comfortable on it. It's another pair of eyes to say, oh, yeah, keep an eye with this. The houses always look different when there's no furniture in there. And for me, it saves me that frantic phone call two days after they moved from the house. Oh, my God. Where it's like we've seen it. We go through everything. We make sure the appliances work on it. Uh, the real estate agents love it because right now they're not front and center stage with everything on it. It's like the inspector's here. He did a good job prior to that. He's going to make sure that everything's good. This way, there aren't any issues that they have to be dealt with at the closing table. Wow. That's, uh, that's impressive. Um, we have uh, less than uh, 30 seconds. Has, have you noticed inspections slowing down because the inventory is so low? Uh, it's crazy out there with the inspections. You, you always dream to be this busy when you're first starting up. Uh, but it's, it's funny because I'll be inspecting a house that <clears throat> every now and then you wind up inspecting one that you inspected three weeks before because, uh, they either put in too high of an offer on it, the mortgage fell through or something with it over there. Um, it's it's still kind of crazy on the crazy side out there. Mm, if you work with buyers, you, you know exactly what I'm talking how can, about. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how can somebody get in touch with you if they had any questions? If they have any questions, um, I can always be reached that text or phone call, 631-804-8710. Email is John and the long one, john at suffolkpropertyinspector.com. Um, usually if it's a phone call, uh, the only time I don't answer the phone is when I'm with clients because you're paying me for my time not to sit there and, you know, talk on the phone, Great. but a text is, you can send that text to me as soon as I get a couple of minutes, I'll answer the text on it. Excellent. Unless, John, course, it's, it's always great having you on the program. Uh, this is John Christopher for real life. And, uh, we'll be right back after this short intermission. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the top producer for Glacier Sotheby's, Debbie Maui. Hey, Debbie, how are you today? Good, John. How are you? I'm wonderful, actually. Um, and the thing we're going to do today, because normally we talk about the Hamptons, but we're going to go beyond out to big sky country where you are. So can you tell us how you went from Chicago, where I imagine you grew up or you started at, and to Whitefish, Montana? Wow, absolutely. And just to clarify, I'm one of the uh, top producers at Glacier Sotheby's. We have some incredible agents here. I'm uh, sure. But uh, so, yeah, no, how did I end up in Whitefish? Wow. Well, about 19 years ago, I visited a friend who lived here. And uh, my first visit, I said, I'm moving here. And uh, just started, you know, planning that in my mind. 
And about 11 years ago, started working remotely. I had rent a house for a month or so and uh, worked my market from Chicago here and bought a house then and uh, rented it out since, you know, for the last 11 years. And uh, I always say I made working remotely trendy before it was uh, as common as it is now. And um, which was great because Chicago's market really was really kicks in for my market. There was January to May. And then the market would be May on. So it actually worked out quite well. Oh, that's great. So um, now you have a dual license, one in Chicago and one there in Montana. Uh, Are the transactions done differently in either one? For example, like in New York, transactions are handled by attorneys. But in Florida, you know, title companies do most of the legal uh, footwork. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So in Chicago, yes, all the deals are done with attorneys, which is Fabulous. And then here in Montana, it is done through the title companies and the agents handle a lot of the um, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and legalese within the contracts. Huh. Okay. Um, so you must be an avid skier, right? I'm an avid skier. I'm an avid athlete, uh, former Ironman. I, and- <laughs> I, I, I missed, I didn't hear the last thing you said. I'm sorry. Former what? I'm a, a former four-time Ironman. So oh, I've done you're four- kidding. Wow. So, yeah. That's- and box. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is fascinating. So, yeah. so you sound like you're perfect for Chicago, but you know, going to uh, Montana, it's like, uh, so you have everything, you have the best of all the worlds, you know, th- th- with the mountains, you can go up and down, you get your exercise, you do your skiing. What's it like there in the summertime? Like now? Oh, the summertime's absolutely amazing. In fact, my favorite sport now is mountain biking. So, you know, especially with the whitefish area, we have, uh, the lakes and the rivers and everything that so many of the other ski resort destinations don't have. So it is truly a four season resort. So there's, you know, floating, rafting, boating, golfing, fishing, you know, paddleboarding, mountain biking, road biking. There's just so much to do. Jeez, that sounds fabulous. Um, if it wasn't for your friend, would you have happened to, to, to uh, upon whitefish? Because, I mean, being a skier, you must have been to other places like Utah and uh, Colorado. Wow. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that. I don't know because I actually came in the summer. And when I first came, I didn't come in the winter to ski. In fact, it took me to actually do the skiing. Um, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. I honestly don't know. It, I, I just discovered it through her. I guess I got pretty lucky. Wow. That is, it's funny how uh, life works sometimes, you know, how fate works, I should say. Um, exactly. Now, one of your uh, big cities is Missoula. Now, how far is that mm-hmm. from, from uh, Whitefish? Yeah, Missoula is only about two hours, two and a half hours south of us. And then beyond that is is Big Sky, which is about six and a half hours south of us. Oh. Uh, Bozeman, Bozeman, Big Sky. Gotcha. Um, now, if you wanted to fly in and out, I imagine a lot of people, you know, uh, have, you know, they go there for the winter, you know, go for skiing and they they purchase properties. Um, where, do, where do you fly in? Where, where's an airport that's close by? Well, yes, we do have an airport. (laughs) I don't know. You know, this is like new territory for me. So that's, (laughs) you're educating me and and the audience at the same time. Okay. (laughs) Well, we have been discovered. It's pretty funny. And no, you're, 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 you know, there's a lot of people, you know, same question as you. 
Actually, we have Kalispell, uh, which is Glacier International Airport, because Glacier National Park is 45 minutes from Whitefish. But uh, Glacier National uh, International Airport is uh, right there um, in Kalispell, which is, it's literally about an 18 minute drive to town. And then to get up to the mountain is about another 14 minutes. So they're expanding the airport. They just did a $100 million expansion and um, adding more and more direct flights all the time. So up until a couple of years ago, we really had limited flights from all the various destinations. And right now we have direct flights um, to, from Chicago, Atlanta, Charlotte, Dallas. Um, oh my gosh, Las Vegas. Do you have Seattle. to, do you have to yeah. uh, can you fly directly to, like you say, uh, from uh, the airport? To, or do you have to go to a secondary airport to get to, say, nope, L.A. Nope. or yeah. no? These are all direct flights. So there's some that are seasonal direct flights, but there's always direct flights through, say, Denver and Seattle. So and then it's seasonal is becoming longer and longer as well. But yeah, you do not need to. It, yeah, there are direct flights, plenty of them all the wow. time. So when you say uh, seasonal, um, it's white whitefish is secondary home community like the Hamptons, or I assume it is. And has it changed uh, much uh, or is it still secondary market? No, absolutely. It's changed a lot. I mean, still very much a second home market, but we have more and more people, especially with COVID moving here full time. So if I remember correctly, from last May to about September, the um, Flathead Valley alone, which is our county, issued 1800 new driver's licenses. I don't know what the number is now, but that was last year. So yes, you know, it is definitely much more of a full-time destination for people, especially because, you know, being able to work remotely now. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. It's changed the whole, uh, uh, face of the, the work workforce. Um, where do you see most of your buyers coming from? Are they coming from the West? Are they coming from the East, the South? The main portion um, up until things started to open up a bit more has been California and Texas. That's a huge portion of our buyers because, you know, we are discount compared to those areas. Hmm. Now, you said Texas. Um, Texas is a, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are moving there. So it, it's interesting that you say Texas is in Montana. Are there tax benefits for uh, living in Montana? Well, absolutely. I mean, our, our property taxes are significantly lower than most other areas. And um, the income tax is a different story, but yeah, property taxes, I mean, me coming from Chicago, I think it's like a third of what they'd be in Chicago. Wow. That's, that's... More the benefit is just that it's a, it, a lot of Texans come here because of especially the weather in the summer, the heat. Um, yeah. Cause right now, Texas has got to be hot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, have you been affected by, just speaking of the heat, have you been affected by that uh, heat? And also, you know, out further west, you know, they're having those uh, fires. Does that uh, happen there or no? Yeah, the smoke this year has been considerably worse, especially because of the bootleg fire. But um, it has been very, very dry, uh, drier um, June than we normally see. So there's definitely that concern. Today is actually quite nice, but uh, we actually got some rain this morning and yesterday. But um, the it's been drier than normal, so yes, you do get the smoke and that sort of thing. But usually, this doesn't happen till more mid to late August. Hmm. 
You know, it's funny. Um, uh, yesterday, um, the, we had uh, fog, not fog. I thought it was fog, but it was uh, the smoke in New York. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> it just yeah. goes across the country, I guess, you know. Yeah, um, it sure does. Yeah. And now, summertime, as you were saying, it's got to be beautiful out there. Are there any, like, music or art festivals happening now? Well, we just had Under the Big Sky Fest this past weekend, which I originally thought the number was 22,000, but it sounds like it was more like 25 to 26,000 people converged upon us. <laughs> a little now, they came from outside the area to, to this and festival? All over. all over the place. I actually had to go to Chicago for a day, and um, the airplane was full of uh, festival goers. And it's just a, a phenomenal, um, the, the fact that they were able to pull this off as well as they did was phenomenal. But uh, yes, it was a fun time, great time. We have plenty of you know other music, live music all over the valley. In fact, we have this Singer Songwriters Festival in September coming up. But then the restaurants and bars, loads of different live music and uh, different venues for that. Lots of upcoming artists come out of the area. But and then there's definitely you know uh, brew fest. Breweries are a big deal out here. Gallery walks. Just there's just loads to do. It's just very much a fun community. Wow, it sounds it. Jeez, I have to get out there one of these days, you know. But and absolutely, yeah, of course. Um, how was there your business? Was your business affected? I'm sorry. What were you saying? There are, there are direct flights from New York. Oh, right, exactly. Now I learned that. Um, how was your uh, was your business affected by uh, during the pan- pandemic? <laughs> the whitefish in Northwest Montana, Montana in general, Montana in general, has been a revolving door since last May. So affected, yes. Um, never seen anything like it. Never seen the dollar volume that you see and the cash deals. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been just phenomenal. The difficulty is lack of inventory. Um, we are seeing a bit more now, but there are still multiple offer situations, properties going over list, um, you know, very little contingencies, cash deals, right and left. Interesting. So they're saying, okay, uh, no mortgage contingency. We'll just, yeah. yep, yeah. go without it or yeah. have yeah. cash or they have yeah. cash. Now, exactly. in, in the Hamptons, we have houses. Um, if you have a house under listed uh, for under a million, it's being gobbled up. Is that the same out there? I'd say anything under 2.5 million. What? Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. The the median price is up over 56% this time over last year. Interesting. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the high end, how high can prices go? I mean, <laughs> that's the typical realtor crystal ball question, right? Right. <laughs> And we all love to know the answer to that. <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, what's, what's sustainable, right? With the, you know, we have the challenge here as many resort destinations of, you know, um, we're keeping employees, that sort of thing. So employee housing affordable for, you know, the middle income worker. We just, you know, the availability of housing is very, very difficult. So that's a challenge we face. So I do think that will have some effect on, quote unquote, how high can we go? Right, right, right. That is, that is interesting. Um, you got maybe 10 seconds and I, I'm trying to think of something that we can, I could ask you. Um, you have, okay. Um, 
building. Is new building happening there? Oh, yes. New construction right and left. Loads of it. Again, we go back to the issue of builders are about two, two and a half years out if they'll take you on and finding those subcontractors and the materials. Wow. Okay, great. Debbie Maui, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. If somebody has a uh, question or they want to learn more about Whitefish and that surrounding communities, how can they do that? Well, first of all, John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> if they'd like to reach me. Um, yeah, this was amazing. Um, my phone number is 406-219-7683. My email is dmaui, just like the island with an E, D-M-A-U-E at glaciersir.com. And then you can always check out my website, which is uh, whitefishmontanaproperties.com. Fantastic. This is John Christopher of Real Life, broadcasting here in Southampton, New York on WLIW 88.3 FM. In the meantime, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Real Life. And please don't forget, have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.